Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. I have to do first things first. I've been praying for a week and a half now, and this is the moment of truth to see how faithful our God is. I know how faithful He is. He says, ask and you shall receive. And I am trusting that I will witness His big yes today to the prayer that I've been requesting from Him. So, without further ado, all at once, don't hold back. I want you to tell me what you see me holding behind my back. Crickets. I got crickets. I don't hear anything. You don't see, you don't see anything? No, no guessing. What do you see? Ah, oh, man. Ah, oh, it's a straw. All right. It's, it's a coffee mixer. All right. And you're, you're probably sitting there scratching your head like, what's this guy doing? Like, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Well, at this conference that I went to a week and a half ago, there was a well-known speaker that was up there addressing the audience. And what this speaker said is that the audience wants to hear from speakers that are transparent. And I thought, wow, that's cool, a speaker that you can see through. But how do you do that? There's no lotion. There's nothing like that. So I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And right now his denials, his, his delays are not his denials. At this time he just said, No. And we'll hold on to that. We'll wait. We'll see what he does because our God does great things and he shows up in mysterious ways and there's things that are happening in the background that we're not aware of. Just like in the word that we're going to get into today, we're going to touch on some stuff that you may not see that we're happening in the background and it's my intent and my hope that the Holy Spirit will enable me to bring those words to life for you and that it'll be his words that speak to you and God that's working in our lives and that you'll see that this guy's just up there as an instrument, that the Holy Spirit's just speaking through him, and he's just a guy, just like you, with shortcomings and a lot of work that needs to be done. So this week, uh, before we get into our, our new message in the Easter series, I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, we come boldly before you, and we come because your son Jesus died for us, and we have the ability to speak to you, and your word says that your word will not come back void. I am depending that your word will go out there and do its work, that your Holy Spirit will quiet our minds and quiet the distractions that are in our life for even just 20 minutes so that your words would speak clearly to us and help us because I'm pretty sure we all need help somewhere. And we thank you and come to you in your son, Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin this series that Ohana Christian Church is doing, known as the Easter series, I chose to dive into the word, and rather than go in with a preconceived topic that I would talk about, I would have the word tell me what topic God wants me to talk about. So I dove in. And the question that came into my mind, that was put on my heart, was, God, may I have a do-over? Now, let me tell you, i got to define do-over before we talk about it, okay? Because we all might have different ideas of what that term exactly means. And let me share with you my first experience with that term do-over after marrying my wife, Julia. We had been married for some time. Uh, when this occurred, I would say uh, it had to be at least two weeks. Uh, it was at least two weeks before I heard this term do-over. And what happened is I, I came into the kitchen and she had been preparing breakfast. And she loves to prepare pancakes. And I was like, all right, great. Went in there and they were delicious. Sweet wife of mine, 
these pancakes are delicious. Not quite as good as my mom's, but delicious. Oh, if looks could kill, this man would not be here right now. And she said, oh, sweet husband of mine, I think you need a do-over. Do-over? Do-over? You don't even know what a do-over is, do you, sweet husband of mine? Oh, yes, I do. I know what a do-over is. A do-over is just like a turnover, except instead of turning, you just do. She said, she, I could see in the look of her head, oh my goodness, I am destined for a life with this guy, with this thinking, like he couldn't be further off. So rather than go with my foolish definition of do-over, let's see what Merriman Dictionary says a do-over is. So a do-over is a new attempt or opportunity to do something after a previous attempt has been unsuccessful or unsatisfactory. A couple weeks ago, Thomas had mentioned strict training and encouraged us to take our walk with Christ in a strict manner to train as if we're wanting to win that race, that we're, we're going for the prize. And I've spent a lifetime in different endeavors from football, baseball, wrestling, martial arts, military training, different jobs, any discipline that you look at, musicians, teaching, firefighting, you have a coach, you have a trainer. And one thing that they'll always do is do it again. Nope, do it again. What, I did it? Nope, do it again. And they don't do it as a punishment. They do it as part of the refining process. There's something in there that we need in this do-over. And I found in this passage that God clearly answers the questions if he's in the business of do-overs. So if you would, please turn your Bibles, and if you don't have them, it'll be a slide. Uh, We're going to go into the book of John, chapter 19, starting in verse 28, and we're going to read through verse 42. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, ag- and again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. 
and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds in weight, 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So reading this set of passages, these verses, you may be thinking, okay, it really seemed like Jesus certainly got his part done right. He didn't need a do-over. I would agree. And it certainly seems like the soldier that pierced him, he got his role correct. And he didn't need a do-over. He got it right. Joseph, Nicodemus, they carried him, did their job, they did it right. So where does the, where's the do-over? Why is the do-over needed? That's not where the do-over is needed. I will show you this is where the do-over is in progress. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Genesis. We're going back to the beginning. You'll find it in chapter 2, verse 8. We'll go in verse 8 and verse 15. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 8, verse 15. The word is shared with, with us, and twice he reiterates the fact that he placed the man in the garden. Why is he doing that? Why is he saying that? I got it the first time. Why do I need to hear this a second time? When we read the scriptures, and if he's saying something more than once, especially in close succession, we need to open our ears and dive in and see, okay, what is he trying to say? There's something more than what's just on the surface. I would like you to turn your Bibles back to John 19, starting in verse 1. And this is where we start to put it together. This is where we start to put together how the first section that I shared with you was a do-over in progress. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man. Look the man. Why would Pilate, of all the things that he could have said, chose to say, Look the man? Huh. Because God, our Father, was making it clear that I'm giving you a do-over. Can you imagine Adam, after he messed up for all humanity and chose to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what impact that had on all humanity if there was ever a man that lived that wanted a do-over, that would beg for a do-over, it would be Adam. 
And because of what Adam did, we were certainly in need of a do-over. Now, how do we put the connection that Jesus is the new Adam? He is the do-over that Paul talks about that through one man, sin entered the world, and through another, it was wiped clean. If you go back into Genesis, and you look in uh, verse 15, he says he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. When you look at the original Hebrew, if you look in the Tanakh or the actual Hebrew writing, till intend, there's a specific meaning to that. And our Father uses specific words for a reason. Till means to work. Work as to accomplish. Intend means to guard. Guard like a shepherd. So now, when we look at John, where we started off, and we talk about his burial, we look, and so they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, and remember, they took the man. Man in Hebrew is Adam. Adam and man are synonymous. We are taking the new Adam, and where are they taking him? There was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb where no one had laid before, just like in the original Garden of Eden. No one had laid there, and God was having others now place his son in the tomb in the garden. Names meant something back in the day. They were given specific names for a reason. Joseph or Yosef and Nicodemus have specific needs or have specific meaning to their names. When they carried Jesus' body, Yosef, Joseph means Yahweh adds. Nicodemus means the victor of the people. They were carrying, saying, Yahweh adds the victor of the people, Jesus, he who saves. When the tomb was open, it was open when? On the first day. It was opened in the beginning. And through him, we have a do-over. We have a new beginning. Different from before. New. Fresh. And this kind of do-over happens today. I just want to cover four points that this passage points out when it comes to God and his do-overs. The first one is God's love for us drives him to provide us with his do-overs. When you're placed in a do-over position, which he will consistently put you in, if you start seeing the same thing happen over and over again in your life with the same outcome, the same feelings, the same distraught, the same I'm not good enough, he's putting you in the position of a turnover and he does it out of his love. As in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this passage in John shows that in action. And when he puts you in that position, he's not telling you you're not good enough. He's telling you, I'm all you need and I've got it covered. So follow me and let me do the work. Second point, Jesus does the work and he is in control. He clearly says, after it was accomplished, isn't that interesting, till intend, till intend, 
accomplished. He accomplished it all. Adam could not. He is the great shepherd. Tend. He shows how tending is. And he's accomplished it. And up until his last, very last breath, he showed that he was in control of everything that happened to him, including he gave his spirit up. He gave his life for us. And he will continue to demonstrate that in our lives today. Number three, God places you right where he wants you for a do-over. Today, he often uses others or situations to help place you where you need to be. Let me just let you know, most times when a do-over happens, it's not about the other person that may be involved in the do-over. It's not about praying about getting them fixed and their response being differently and them treating you differently. No, he's trying to tell you something within you to have you have a different outlook, a different reaction, to be more like Jesus, to take the plank out of your own eye instead of pointing at that little splinter in their eye. The do-over is about you and about him. And number four, his Holy Spirit helps us to be like Jesus and sacrifice ourselves in order to give others a do-over. I'm not sure if you realize this, but folks, we needed a do-over. We probably need do-overs every day. If you're married, you know it. If you are at a job where you have a boss or you have people that work for you, they need do-overs. You need do-overs. We all need practice. We all need that other chance. So how about we be like Jesus and let his Holy Spirit work through us and be quick to offer that person the opportunity for a do-over, even when they don't know they need it. He gave it to us even though those people that put him on a cross didn't know that they needed it. And let me tell you, he does this today, every day. And I can tell you, I probably needed a do-over at some point already this morning, and I'm so foolish that I didn't even see it, but I know of a time in my life that I needed a do-over, and I'd like to share that with you. For many years of my life, I lived my life the way that I wanted. I was in charge of my life. I was having fun with my life. I had a lot of friends. I was popular. I had money. I was doing well in my work. Everything outside seemed to be going terrific. But God would speak to me even though I didn't have a relationship with him. That's how faithful he is. He would tell me, Brian, you don't want to do that. You don't. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, I do. And I didn't see how that outcome was going to happen. And I'm going to get real with you now, okay? Like I said, I'm a real person just like you. And uh, before meeting Julie, I was married previously. I was married for 10 years and uh, crash and burn. That marriage crashed and burned and talk about really wanting a do-over. Man, I need a do-over. But I didn't realize I needed him for the do-over. And based on a series of events, this is how it went down. I was taken to the doctors by my now ex-wife. And she said, I just want to let you know I'm filing for divorce. I've already contacted an attorney. I have a protection order filed against you. I've cleared out the bank accounts. I have both cards. I have all your clothes. I have everything. I'm going to drop you off on the corner peace, putting it all together really fast. Wow. Talk about a life that was starting to spin out of control. My in charge of everything, my control of everything, it was spinning like this. I was an almost 30-year-old man, and I was placed in the position that I had to ask to use a phone at a doctor's office, and do-do-do-do-do, mommy, mommy, I got nothing, 
my wife just dumped me off on the corner and I don't have a car, I gotta, can you help me out? Well, part of that, like I said, was a protection order. Allegations were made that I was a threat, that I was this man, and you know, it was established that, hey, you can't call, you can't talk to everything, but we had been going through counseling because we knew there were problems, I knew there were problems, and we would go to counseling with our pastor. So right away, I called the pastor and said, hey, this is what's going down. We never talked about me being a threat. That was never an issue. There was no, no, what's going on? Boom, so I tell, hey, I got a meeting, let me call you back. Like 10 minutes later, phone rings. Mr. Hughes, this is the police department calling. Uh, we just received uh, word that you had somebody call your wife and threaten her. What? What do you say? No, I do. Well, make sure that nobody calls and threatens her or any of this other stuff. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I got it. Pastor calls me back, Brian, I'm so sorry. So, so I called her. I called her to see what was going on, and she freaked out and all this stuff. So she said, my pastor, on my behalf, threatened her. Yes. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so lesson learned, right? Three days later, I get a knock at the door. Two police officers in uniform. Brian, I know him. Brian, we got to take you in. It's a Saturday afternoon. Everybody's out cutting their lawn. Public people are out there. Really? You got to? Sorry, man, we got to take you in. Got this thing. Do you have to cuff me? Yeah, I got to cuff you. You know, it's, oh, man, how embarrassing. Man, this just keeps getting worse and worse. My life's been out of control. I can't believe I didn't even do anything. And I'm going, boom, and I end up in jail. I'm in jail, they book me, all these other things. Now, I knew who God was. I knew the Bible. I was going to church, but I had not surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I was still controlling it. I wanted to still live my other life. I still wanted to have all those fleshly things and be that good guy on Sunday. But my mom told me that she was praying for me. And we all know if a mom's praying for you, just, hey, throw it in. All right, just give up now and go with what she's praying for you, okay? It's just a matter of time. So I laid there in my bunk in this jail, and I knew the people working at the jail. This is getting more embarrassing. Like, dude, can we get you more pillows? You know, can we help you out? And, I, and I'm like totally out of my element, okay? And I said, God, you have me here for a reason. Your word says that I'm here for a reason, and I see that I need you. I see that I need you in my life. I see that I've made a mess of my life. Because make no mistake, there was, these are some consequences of choices that I made that I'm ending up here. And I said, I give it to you now. I turn it over, and you're my savior, and I'm going to live for you. I acknowledge what you did for me. Thank you, and you're going to get me out of this mess, and I don't know how. Well, fortunately, there was one of the big, you know, one of the inmates there that I knew. Yeah, this guy, and he was in charge. He was like the man in there. So I was like, hey. Well, it just happened to be that at that time, my job was I found work for people, people that got out of prison, people that didn't have the best records would come to me and I would place them in jobs. And I had gotten him a job and I had gotten his friends a job. So he said, hey, you make sure you don't mess with that guy. And when you get out of here, he's going to get you a job. God's already providing me protection. No issue. Hey, you're going to have your hearing. You're going to have your hearing in a couple days. All right, the judge is going to, you know, just talk. You're about 10 of you are going to go up there. We'll set your bond and you're out of here. Okay. How embarrassing. You're in the orange jumpsuit. Got all the shackles on. Coming up in there. And I'm the last one to go. I'm the last one to go in front of the judge. And all the guys that were in there for drug, domestic violence, assault, all these things, they're getting their bond. Boom, $5,000 bond. $5,000 bond. So I go up there and I'm thinking, okay, $5,000 bond. 
Oh, you, I'm making an example, a $30,000 bond. What? My, my mom was in the crowd, and my dad, and my mom, I could hear my mom. <gasps> and I'm like, what the heck, God? What's going on here? I didn't even do anything. I really, I didn't do anything. Go back to my cell. I lay in the bunk, and I have that conversation with him. I'm trusting in you, God. I gave it to you. You said you have my back. And I'm laying on this top bunk. And all of a sudden, drop of water with my eyes closed, start hitting my head. Another drop, another drop. I look, and the ceiling is covered with raindrops. It's raining on me, literally, in my jail cell. And I said, guard, it's raining on me in my jail cell. Help me out. What? What are you talking about? And he comes over there. Wow, Hughes, it is. It's raining in your jail cell. Uh, all right, come here. I'm going to take you to the other cell. There's another guy in there, but hopefully you're going to be getting released soon anyways, and you have it, so I'll just take you over there. So I go in there, and there's this young guy, and he's sitting there against his desk with his head over the desk, and he's reading something. And I look over his shoulder. He's reading the Bible. I said, well, my man, I see you're reading the right book for being in this place. He says, yeah. Yeah, I've made some bad things, and... You know, I decided to open this, this book up and, and read it. So you got any questions? I kind of know a little something about that. Yeah, and he asked me some questions. I was able to answer his questions for him. I said, you know what, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. So I put hands on him and I prayed for him. I don't remember exactly what I prayed. But I remember when I was done, he turned around and he had tears in his eyes. He said, man, bro, I got to tell you something. I have never opened this Bible in my life. And just before I opened it, I said, God, if you're there and you care about me, send me somebody to talk about this book. And you came into my cell. And with that, I said, there's your first answer to prayer, brother. When I was done saying that, hey, Hughes, your bond's been set. You've been released. You fast forward everything, all charges were dropped. Nothing's on my record. It's as if nothing happened. And from that time to this time, it seems like a mist, and my life has been restored. I have a bride that loves me and respects me. My finances have been totally squared away. I have two cars. I have a house back. I have loving relationships. My reputation has been cleared. I am new because of what he has done, and he will do that in your life today. Oh, excuse me, Pastor, I've got to say something. You have a booger up your nose and your fly is open. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then that's a trusting brother. Thank you. I, I owe you guys an apology. I'm sorry. I, uh, man, I didn't know that. See, you learn something new every day. When I came up here, you know, and I said how I had been praying that. I would be transparent. I thought, you know, it meant that you could see through me. But he just made me aware that actually when that person was speaking and said about transparent and, and transparency, it was about seeing inside of the speaker and seeing that they're real and seeing what their life's all about. So as big an idiot as I am, our God still knows what I needed. And he delivered it right on time. And he'll do that for you 
because he loves you and not based on a performance and not because I messed this up and I messed that up, but because you love Jesus and Jesus is there for you and that's all you got to do. All right? All right, so this week, just remember that and hold on to it and think, hey, God, yeah, I need a do-over and I've got to show grace and mercy when those near me need do-overs. Let us pray.